Hello, hello. Thank you. Good. Glad you're there, Sean. Um, there is just one more announcement. I just crossed my mind earlier, and uh, I don't think it was in Dave's update, so you uh, may not know. Um, on Wednesday and Thursday, the elders are meeting. Um, we meet for two days three times a year. <clears throat> we do meet in between that as well, just so you know. We don't just work on Sundays and Wednesdays and Thursdays three times a year. Um, <clears throat> I just ask you to pray for us. Um, it's a big responsibility to lead the church and to be answerable to God. And uh, so all day Wednesday and all day Thursday we would and before and after, we really value your prayers. I know you do pray for us, and thank you very much. Um, hopefully, if you did read Dave's update, um, you would have seen that you were asked if you'd like to read chapters 7 and 8 before this morning, because they're long chapters, and one is, anyhow, and we can't read them all. Um, I had a phone call yesterday morning from, from Reg, who had told me he'd read chapters 7 and 8 twice and um, he thought he ought to like to pray for me, which was very encouraging. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, Reg, to mention your name. I hope I didn't embarrass you. Um, does any, has anybody read it more than them? Anybody read it? Somebody told me they'd read it three times. Anybody, any, any, anybody read it three times? Well done, Ken. Oh, you read it another time afterwards, Rach. Thank you. Well done. Good. Well, anyhow, first of all, well, I'd like to pray, and then we're going to see um, a short video um, of chapters 7 and 8 on the screen. And um, after that, depending on how good that is, we'll decide whether I need to preach or not. So, Father God, we, we thank you for your presence here this morning. It's been great to be in your presence, to celebrate your greatness, to celebrate that Jesus is crowned with many crowns, and his throne is going to be the only one that will last forever. And, Father, it's been great to celebrate you as our Father, to celebrate that when we come to you, we come home, and we come right in. We go through the front door and we come right into your presence. Thank you, Father, for being with us and touching us this morning, for touching our hearts. And, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will continue to touch our hearts with your love and your presence. And help us to understand your word. It's, it's a bit complicated, but, Father, you, you will, by your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, just come and teach us and just let your word come. And let it not be a history lesson but may it be you speaking to us about how this affects us today. Father, bless us. We're a people who are hungry for your presence, Father. We're a people who are hungry for your blessing. We're a people who are hungry to see you work in our lives, in our church, and in our towns and villages. Father, we, we confess our hunger this morning, and we say, come by your Spirit and meet with us. Continue to meet with us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you, David. Which brings us to chapter 7. It's the pair of chapter 2 and the center of the book where all its themes come together. It's another dream, but it's Daniel's this time. And ironically, he can't understand the dream until an angelic messenger explains it to him. He sees a series of four beasts, one like a lion, then like a bear, then one like a winged <laughs> leopard, each of these symbolizing an arrogant kingdom. And last of all is a super beast identified as a really evil empire. And it has lots of horns, a common symbol for king in the Old Testament, and there's one specific horn who is an image of an arrogant king who exalts himself above God and persecutes God's people. Now, they are symbolized by a figure called the Son of Man, who's an image for both God's covenant people, but also for their king from the line of David. But then all of a sudden, God, who's called the Ancient of Days, comes and he sets up his throne. He destroys the super beast and he exalts the Son of Man on the clouds where he comes up to sit at God's right hand and share in God's rule over the nations. We can look back now and see how all of these stories in the first half fit together. The three stories of faithfulness despite persecution, these are meant to offer hope to God's suffering people among the nations. But they suffer because human kingdoms have rebelled against God and have become beasts. And so these visions encourage patience, that God's people are to wait for him to bring his kingdom and rule over our world and vindicate his suffering people. But it raises the question about when God is going to do that, and that's what these final three visions set out to explore. In chapter 8, Daniel has another vision about the final two beasts of chapter 7, but this time they're symbolized by a ram, who we're told is an image of the empire of the Medes and Persians, and then by a goat, who's an image of ancient Greece. And out of the goat come a whole bunch of horns, one of which symbolizes the evil king from chapter 7. And we're told more about him, that he will attack Jerusalem and exalt himself above God and defile the temple with idols. However, in the end, he will be destroyed by God, who will exalt his people and his kingdom. Now by Thank you, David. Thank you. You may like to have your Bibles open. And uh, just to... Um, I think I've, I've got a few notes which I think I've left down there. Have your Bibles open at chapter 8, actually, first. Um, you've probably picked up that chapter 8, chapter 7 and chapter 8, come before chapter 5 and chapter 6. Um, we're still in pre-chapter 5, where Belshazzar is still the king, and um, Babylon has not yet been invaded by the Medes and Persians. So... In some ways, perhaps chapter 8 is, the, is a slightly shorter and easier chapter, so I thought we'd have a look at that first, and then we'd go back to chapter 7. <clears throat> and um, as we've just seen up there, there, were, there, were these, there was this um, ram with two horns. And uh, it says, if you've got your Bibles open, it says in verse um, 
for that one of the horns grew longer than the other. And you sort of look at that and you think, well, is that really important? What's that all about? Well, this was, this ram, um, it symbolized the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. You remember it was um, Darius the Mede that attacked Babylon and deposed Belshazzar. He, uh, he managed to divert the river Euphrates that went underneath Babylon and there were all these great wonderful walls and um, guards and watchtowers to keep Babylon safe and while Belshazzar was having a great feast um, which you may remember we looked at that I think in chapter 4 the, the Persian army marched in on dry ground and took over Babylon. And uh, the, the Persian army was a mixture of, of two nations, a kingdom, two kingdoms, the Persians and the Medes. But the Persians became the stronger nation. And that is what is significant about one horn being longer than the other. But from chapter 8, it sounds as though this, this ram didn't hang around for too long because there came a goat in chapter 5. And a goat had a prominent horn between his eyes. And it says he crossed the whole earth without touching the ground. Well, that describes the conquests of a man called Alexander the Great, who in that time conquered most of the known world in a very short time. He started conquering at 20 and he died at 31, leaving one of the biggest um, empires that the world had seen, the biggest, I believe, until that time. Anyhow, he was powerful. He knocked, the, he knocked the bram to the ground, trampled on him, and none could rescue him from his power. And then there, became, there came another, a small horn, which grew out of, um, in verse 9. And um, this was another nation that defeated the, the um, Greeks. And um, when, when Alexander died, he left his kingdom divided between four, his four generals. He had no son or family, nobody to pass it on to, so he left his kingdom between his four generals. And um, they weren't quite so successful. And uh, this, this bit... Um, if we go to verse 19, it says, as I've just told you, the two, so I haven't, this is all in the Bible, the two-horned ram represents the king of Media Persia, and the shaggy goat is the king of Greece. And uh, the four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation. And... Uh, the, 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 four, the four nations were the four generals, and then it, um, there's a little bit of uncertainty here as to, as to whether the, uh, it then went to a, a Syrian king, or, but we had this um, very, uh, we had this small horn, and we'll see a little bit more about this small horn in chapter 7. Um, it says... 
um, the four horns that replace the one that was broken off, four kingdoms will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. And in, in verse 23, in the latter part of their reign, when the rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will come, become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. Now, this, is, this power is a satanic power. It's not God's power because this king will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper and will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. So if we now go back to chapter 7, and we've got these four amazing creatures that came out of the sea. <clears throat> what does the sea speak of? The sea speaks of uncertainty, turbulence, and uh, these were, were, this was where these uh, beasts came from. And it's significant that they are called beasts because they are not good beings. And um, so in verse 4, we've got the first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. And then the next one was like a bear. The first one represents um, probably Babylon, which Daniel was living under. Um, and the next one um, refers to the Medes and the Persians, a bear. Three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. That means that it's devoured a lot of nations, but there's still some nations that um, it hadn't subdued. It still had ribs between its teeth. It hadn't finished. And then there was the, the, the leopard, which was Alexander the Great, and um, the four heads, the four generals who took over when he died. And then there was this last beast. Now, um, when preachers preach on Daniel, the first thing they do, they go to um, things called commentaries. But unfortunately, well, at least most of the human ones I've come across have, but unfortunately, most of the commentaries, not all the commentaries, agree as to what is what. And that is not terribly helpful. So you end, up, you end up reading it through yourself and you think, well, what's the Holy Spirit saying to us about that? And um, not all commentators agree that the, that the four beasts in, in Daniel 7 are the same as the ones in Daniel 8. Um, obviously, so in... in, in, um, in Daniel 8, we had the Medes and the Persians. We had the, um, the uh, Greeks. And then we had this, um, we had this uh, very um, powerful, unpleasant king. Here, the first one, the lion, is, is said to be like Babylon. The bear, like the, uh, the um, Medes and Persians and the leopard-like Greece, and then we gain, we've got this fourth terrifying one, 
Uh, one, one commentator I read think that the beasts in chapter 7 refer to later empires like the uh, Russia, China, United States and the Arab world. So I don't know. There may be some of you sitting there and you think, oh, I've got all this sussed up and he's getting in a bit of a muddle. Well, okay, you can tell me afterwards. But um, what do we learn from these beasts? Because uh, these are, these are, these are uh, symbols of what's going to happen in history. And you know, God is very good at telling us what's going to happen. There's um, a, uh, a lovely scripture in Amos 3.7 that says, God tells his people what is going to happen. That's the kind of God we worship. Now, he doesn't tell us everything, and everything doesn't fall into place. He doesn't give us a book saying, this is what's going to happen, like a history book in advance. But he gives us an idea, and we have to use our intelligence and the Holy Spirit. But after, after this revelation of Daniel, there was, God didn't reveal himself through prophets for nearly 400 years until Jesus came. It was a very quiet time. And so the, God's people, the Jews, Israel, in the years that followed this um, these revelations from Daniel, they would have looked back and they would have seen what was going to happen and what did happen. So, what about these beasts? Um, somebody once said that, um, that history, history is beastly. And... Uh, there is a sense in which history is, is a sad, sad story of broken nations, broken empires, huge battles, people killed, people made homeless. And that's the history of the world. Um, why is that? Well, it's because the world is in rebellion against God. And uh, it's rebelling against his kingdom. We've read about all these other kingdoms and at the same time, there's, there's God's kingdom, which Jesus brought to earth. And yet, we, many, many people, <clears throat> rebel and will not have anything to do with God's kingdom. On the other, on the other side of the coin, um, I've heard it said, and it sounds quite good, that history is his story. It's God's story. It, God is writing history. And that is absolutely true. Now, um, God is not a, a, um, a despot and all players in history are not robots. But even so, God guides history. And um, he uses men to change, to change the course of history, to, sort, to suit his purposes. And obviously the, the person that comes to mind as a, as a example is Jesus. Jesus Christ coming when he did and dying um, in, in Palestine nearly 2,000 years ago, he changed the course of history. People like um, the Apostle Paul, they changed the course of history. Martin Luther, John Wesley, they changed the course of history of nations. But overall, God is guiding history because he started it and he's going to finish it and he has a purpose in history. Now, I don't really understand all the gruesome bits. It's a bit 
horrible, isn't it? Um, the counts of battles, and even in our recent history, and even going on today, there's so much suffering. And that is mainly because of man's rebellion. God is offering another way. But the kingdoms, all the kingdoms that we see in the world, they're all kingdoms of Satan. I mean, they might be, some might be more benign than others, but if, if you're not in the kingdom of God, you're in the kingdom of Satan. And um, the kingdoms of this world um, are not serving God. And, uh, but there's something, there's something about suffering, isn't there? Um, that we're fascinated by suffering. Is that true? We're fascinated by suffering? We, we read books about suffering. Um, whether it's the Holocaust, whether it's... Um, many other stories. Suffering, suffering is part of our world, it's part of our lives. It brings out the best often, not always, but often it brings out the best in human beings. It brings out human courage. And we love reading books like that, especially if they have a happy ending. Or we love seeing films like that, but of course they don't always have a happy ending. But God is also doing something else as he shapes history, he's building his church and he's testing and purifying his church. We'll come back to that in a minute. Let's, um, let's have a look at a little bit more of chapter 7. Um, David, could, could you put up those verses, please, from verse 9? This is verse 9 of chapter 7. I'll, I'll, um, I'll read it as well as so that you can just take it in. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. We've got a bit more there. What verse have we got to? We've got to verse 14. No, no, no we haven't. Okay. And then I continued to watch... Because of the boastful words, the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led in to his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Though Daniel is bang up to date here, because that's exactly what we've been singing in our worship this morning. Does that make you excited? I think it's great, isn't it? Jesus has given authority 
and glory and sovereign power, all nations worshipped him. So what about this, um, what about this verse, um, <clears throat> verse 11? The other beasts had been stripped, or the, it, verse, yes, uh, verse 11. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. This was, this was this little horn in which was the last beast. And um, it says, going back to verse 8, that it was different from all the former beasts. It had ten horns. When I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. Now this horn had the eyes like a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. There was something that was more sinister, more clever, more evil about this little horn. And um, this was the one that in verse 12 or verse 11, um, it was destroyed and thrown in to the blazing fire. So you may be wondering, well, what is this little horn? Which, which, um, which beast is this? Where does it come in history? Well, there was... Um, <clears throat> There was a man called, who lived, well he died in 169 BC, a man called um, Antioch Epiphanes. I think that's how you say it, but anyhow. Um, he, not in the Bible, but he's in secular history. And uh, this man was um, descended from the, from the Greeks, from that Greek empire, and uh, he was extremely ruthless. And he really had it in for God's people. He attacked Jerusalem. He killed the high priest. Um, this is all in about 200 BC. He brought, um, he brought uh, pigs into the temple. As you know, the, the um, temple is a... Uh, the, the pigs are unclean for, for, for the Jewish people to eat, but he brought pigs into the temple. He slaughtered them. And um, if some of the priests, the priests wouldn't eat the pigs, he killed them. He brought... He put in God's holy temple a, a, a statue of Jupiter. He um, brought in um, prostitutes and uh, he completely profaned God's temple. And uh, he killed 40,000 Jews just to round it all off. He was a, a terrible man and God's people suffered terribly under him. Um, eventually, of course, he died like they all do. That's the great thing about human Human empires, they, they finish, don't they? they? They run out. Somebody else stronger comes along. You know, Hitler boasted that the Third Reich would last for a thousand years, and it lasted 12. Um, and not to think our own British Empire, um, which uh, didn't last that long, did it? Um, as in the scale of things, um, empires, empires come and go. And so this was the beast that was um, thrown into the fire. So what about, what about this throne of God? What a contrast. We've got these beasts. We've got the beastly side of history. We've got the, the turbulency from which these beasts come and cause havoc on the earth. And then, um, as Daniel looked in verse 9, it says, thrones were set in place. And the ancient of days. Who's the ancients of days? Well, it's God. God took his seat. 
And here's a wonderful picture that Daniel had of God. His clothing was white as snow. His hair, the hair of his head was white like wool. Speaking of holiness, purity, his throne was flaming fire. Fire speaks of God's, um, God's presence. You remember in Israel in the wilderness, they had a pillar of fire at night so they knew where to go. God was with them. It, the fire was flowing, coming out before him. And it says its wheels were ablaze. I looked at that and I thought, why did the throne of God have wheels? I mean, God's throne sounds amazing, doesn't it? It's un- indescribable. Daniel doesn't really attempt to describe it too much because it must have been a, a quite overcoming vision. And you suddenly think it had wheels? And you think, well, that, that's incredible for a start because it meant that God must have invented the wheel long time before humans thought about it. And the wheels were all ablaze. And, but if you don't, you needn't look at it now, but if you look at Ezekiel 1, it talks there of a vision Ezekiel had. And there, God's throne um, was on wheels because it was a sign that wherever God's people were banished to, when they were taken into captivity, that God's throne went with them. And that's encouraging even for us today because God's throne is not something that is um, sort of way up there in the blue sky. God's throne goes with us. He's always with us. And uh, thousands upon thousands attended him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. God keeps books. God keeps books. There's one book that's mentioned in Revelation, which is the Lamb's Book of Life, which everyone who is a true believer in Jesus Christ is written, their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And they have, if you have that, we have eternal life. We have been saved from hell and given a place in God's presence for eternity. And uh, so God opened the books The court was seated and the books were opened. God is absolutely um, spot on in justice. He doesn't make any mistakes. And then in verse 13, it said, um, Before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days. You know, when you read this, it's easy to get tied up and people say to you, oh, because you're preaching on all those beasts, aren't you? And you say, well, well, yes, I am, actually. And then you think, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm preaching on the Ancient of Days as well. I'm preaching on this person who approached the Ancient of Days. Who was this who approached the Ancient of Days? It was one like the son of a man. And uh, Jesus became a man for us. And he was led into his presence. And Jesus, it says, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. That's what's happening in the world today, all over the world, in every country, every language. People are worshipping Jesus. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed that's absolutely fantastic news, isn't it? Of fantastic news for these people. You, you imagine reading this when you were suffering under Antioch Epiphanes. You, you, you would read this and you would think, well, one day God is going to put the world right. This is only a temporary happening. 
So Daniel looked forward, and perhaps we can, perhaps we can look at the, um, what I've just read um, and term that as Daniel having a vision of the first coming of Jesus. God wanted his people to know what was going to happen. And then um, he, he um, this, this was interpreted, this, these visions were interpreted to Daniel, and um, we, we get again uh, um, just what I've been saying in verse 21 about the Ancient of Days and um, the little horn. And uh, it's, this little horn is pretty drastic, pretty nasty person if you haven't got it already. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try and change the set times and the laws. The saints will then be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a times. That's verse 25. That's three and a half years. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away completely, destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. I think Daniel there, he's looking forward to the greatest event that has yet to happen in this world, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because it says, then, the, the whole kingdom will be handed over to the saints. We haven't got the kingdom yet, have we? We're not, we live in the kingdom, the kingdoms, there's the kingdom of Satan, kingdom of darkness, but we've been... And brought into the kingdom of light. But the two kingdoms are going along side by side. But one day we will receive the kingdom of God in its entirety because it says that we will reign with him. The saints will reign. And uh, so what, what does that... Um, what, what really has this got to do with us today? Um, you know, it's interesting stuff, isn't it? And um, I probably haven't told you anything you didn't already know. Um, but um, we, some, we, have to go to the, we have to go to the New Testament. And uh, because Daniel's gone to the New Testament, Daniel's told us about things that are going to happen then. And... Uh, there's um, some verses, I won't, you needn't turn to them, but um, Jesus in Matthew 24, you can make a note of these and read them later. In Matthew 24 and verse 15, Jesus refers to Daniel, Daniel's prophecy. And um, he sees, Jesus says there in verse 30, that everyone will see the Son of Man coming. But Jesus also talks about the persecution that is to come. And uh, there's also, um, we can also see if we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that there is somebody who comes in the last days called the man of lawlessness. And as we go on in Daniel in the last few chapters, we will see more prophecy about the last days of earth before Jesus comes back. And there's a man of lawlessness um, in Revelation, they call him the um, Antichrist. And uh, 
he's a pretty horrible sort of person, just like um, Antioch Epiphanes. And uh, it says that he persecutes the saints of God, he persecutes the church of God. But um, the good news is that in Thessalonians it says that Jesus will destroy him by the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming. So, what does that mean for us this morning? Where does that leave us? You know, we, I was with some friends um, in having a meal in a pub the other evening, and uh, I sort of made the comment that I was thankful to live in a democracy. And one of them turned to me and he said, you don't really believe you live in a democracy, do you? Well, I'm, I don't know, but I'm very glad I live where I live. That's where God's put me. But we're, we're very blessed in this country. We've had hundreds of years of um, when our, our laws and have, been, um, have been fashioned by Christian teaching and the Ten Commandments. And the gospel has changed our society more than once. We're very blessed. But I think we have to realise that it, won't, it may not always be like that. We can, see, um, we can see that things are changing. People in this country are now losing their jobs because they're Christians. And uh, if we look in the wider world, the persecution that's going on around the world is huge. Um, I get one of these things on email that updates me from about persecuted Christians and not many days go by when they send something to say that so-and-so was killed or beaten to death or whatever. Um, and uh, I think history's fascinating because, you know, we, we, we see what happened in China, the terrible persecution of the Chinese church through many years and now today the church in China is, go- is growing. And uh, sometimes I think that, and we talk, I was talking about suffering earlier, sometimes I think, would, would those Christians in, in countries like China and Iran, would they actually want to change places with us or not? Or would they rather suffer? Because I don't make light of the suffering. It must be awful. Many, many want to leave. But I just wonder whether they've got something that perhaps we haven't got. Um, in that they've suffered for Jesus Christ. But that may come, that may come our way. And I think as a, as a preacher today, I, I just have a, have a duty to say, because the Bible teaches that we're ready for whatever may come. And um, Christianity, is, it, was, um, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer that said, um, he was a German pastor who was um, hung by the Nazis. But he, um, he was in America when the Second World War broke out, or just before the Second World War, and he knew there was going to be a war. And uh, he actually decided to go back to Germany rather than stay in America. That was a brave decision. He went back. And um, he said that um, we have a danger in our Western churches of preaching that Jesus said, come and dine. But actually, Jesus said, come and die. And um, sometimes it's something that we can overlook in our urge to bring people into the kingdom of God. We, we, we don't tell them always that um, it's a question of Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Following Jesus 
um, and many of you have experienced this in small ways. Following Jesus can be painful. Jesus said, the world hates me, it will hate you. And um, I just pray that you'll think about that and that, that you and I are ready, to, are ready to stand for Jesus because the rewards are huge. Um, you know, to, to stand there one day and see every knee bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. <laughs> Won't you be glad then that you're on the right side? Would it be worth losing your farm or your job or your home? Or would, it, would it be worth what you had to suffer for Jesus to stand there one day and see people who bowing the knee, who, who didn't bow the knee in this life and their reward is hell? Or to bow the knee to Jesus in this life and uh, to see him exalted. That will be an amazing day. Um, it's almost as if in Philippians 2, God will say, um, God will cry out the name Jesus and at that moment, every knee, everything in the earth and under the earth, everything will bow to his majesty, his supremacy and his glory. And um, let me remind you this morning where you first met Jesus. If you know Jesus, you first met him at the cross, but the start of eternity will be seeing him exalted in every knee bowing. That is, that is the truth and the simple truth of Christianity. There's a lot in between. Don't fear the beasts. They are defeated. It might be painful. Um, but um, you are on... If you're a Christian this morning, you're on the winning side. And uh, if, you, if you're not a Christian, if you, haven't, if you don't know Jesus, if he isn't personal saviour to you, um, please come and talk to me or somebody afterwards. Um, Perhaps a lot of them I said may not make sense to you, but we'd love to tell you more about Jesus. And so, um, <clears throat> should we just uh, just have a few minutes quiet and just see what the Lord's saying to us? We've, we've we have nearly done time. <clears throat> You know, I had, a, I had a real sense earlier this morning, and um, I'm sure it came from God, and so I'm just going to share it. Um, I doubt whether there's hardly anybody here who hasn't got a member of their family who is not, who is, um, who is not a believer. Sorry, I've put that the wrong way around. Um, I believe that there's probably nobody here whose who's whole family are Christians. And, um, you know, when you think about the future and you think about um, what's going to happen, um, perhaps the, the strongest thing that, that comes to you is, what about my family? What about those who, who don't know Jesus? And... Um, you know, most of you know, I've got three children. Well, they're not children now, they're much older, but they, they made professions of faith. One was baptised. They, um, they trusted Jesus, apparently, and yet they, they are no longer following him. And um, you may have got people like that who are your children. You may have got parents who have never believed. You may have got brothers or sisters or cousins. And... Um, you know, in the light of this morning, 
Is your heart going out to your family? Um, would you just like to stand? And I'd like to pray for our families. Father God, I, I just, uh, we just come to you now. And uh, we don't come out of a sense of fear, out of a, but we come out of a sense of, of love for you and of love for our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our sons, our daughters, our cousins, whoever it may be. We come out of a real sense of love. Father, there's so many that started in this church and have, have gone off the rails. Father, we want to bring everyone to the you this morning. And you know our hearts, and as we stand before you, just silently in our hearts, we lift up those that we've been praying for. Maybe, I don't think I mentioned husbands either, but wives. It may be we've been praying for them for years. Father, we pray again this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus that you will do a work in our families. You will do a work in those that have gone away from you, Father, who have never known you. We pray that in this church we may see people who have gone away flooding back. We pray that we may see people who may have never believed. We pray that we will see them coming. Father, that is our heart this morning and you're, you're a good God, you're a gracious God. And uh, we just praise you and bless you and thank you for your goodness to us this morning. Help us in the road ahead, we do pray. Just strengthen us, Father, we ask you as we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're not going to have a last song. Sorry, Pam. Um, uh, it, the meeting's over. Um, coffee will be served. But if you want to pray for, with anybody, if you want to pray with somebody else, about somebody in your family, just, just get together and pray. Just forget about coffee for quarter of an hour it will still be there when you when you finish praying um, please speak please um, welcome visitors but it's an opportunity to pray one with the other um, or somebody next to you um, don't just disperse if you want to pray it's good to pray and share together thank you god bless you